Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have two very special guests, three very special guests. They've just published a book. The title of the book is The Protocol That Kills a True Crime Story. This really is a true crime story. And it was written by Sheila Skiba. Her last name is spelled S-K-I-B-A. And a husband and wife team, Roberta and Alan Stalvey. Last name spelled S-T-A-L-B-E-Y. And you can check out their website at The Protocol That Kills. This book is now available on hardback on Amazon. I'll put a link into the show notes so you can check that out. And it's very cleverly written. It's written as a narrative, but also as kind of a legal legal document and with citations and references. So I think it's very well put together. I highly recommend it. But I'm going to play for the audio if you're watching this on Rockfin. Uh, this video that is a promotional video, which you can see on their website as well. But then I will play this. It's about three minutes long, and then I will introduce the guests. So let me just get this started. Did you know that a government-incentivized hospital protocol has led to the deaths of untold numbers of unsuspecting people? The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons noted, we now see government-dictated medical care at its worst in our history since the federal government mandated these ineffective and dangerous treatments and then created financial incentives for hospitals and doctors to use only those approved and paid for approaches. The book, The Protocol That Kills, exposes the lethal regimen adopted by hospitals to maximize profits at the expense of patients' lives. This exhaustive expose provides a firsthand account of the protocol in action as it was invoked on an otherwise strong and healthy 52-year-old Rob Skiba, who was diagnosed with a viral infection by the admitting hospital. Within 40 days, this valiant Army veteran who had sworn to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, had fallen at the hands of a government-incentivized domestic enemy. This over 400-page true crime story uncovers every aspect of this lethal protocol in action, despite the protests of Rob Skiba and his wife. It includes disheartening text messages from Rob, who was locked away from his wife because she was forbidden to enter the hospital in the name of the protocol. Lawfully recorded detailed conversations his wife had with doctors, therapists, nurses, and hospital staff numerous pages extracted from the over 5,000-page hospital record that exposed the protocol that led to his tragic death, the testimony of a medical expert who provided his detailed analysis of the case, invaluable and timely insights of a legal counsel who provides the story behind the story by providing crucial details and evidence, along with over 100 citations from clinical studies, medical journals, federal regulations, and relevant books and articles that prove Rob did not die of natural causes, but due to the perpetrator's insistence that he follow the mandated and inhumane protocol that kills. As Richard Bartlett, MD, says, this book shares a wealth of critical insights that will greatly aid in preventing future needless losses of life. The purpose of this book is to sound an alarm of a clear and present danger as this lethal protocol is still being used against patients in hospitals all across America and to provide you with essential insights that can help save your life or the life of someone you love. To be forewarned 
is to be forearmed. Get a copy today at theprotocolthatkills.com. Okay, that was a great intro. I'm just going to switch over to my other microphone here and then introduce the guest. Give me one sec. Check one, two. Uh, so let's see. Sheila, Roberta, and Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. I wanted to, I wanted to, this is our, our first interview, so please bear with us as we um, learn how to do this. But I wanted to publicly thank uh, Roberta and Alan, who have been friends of Rob and I for many years. And um, through this nightmare, pretty much held my hand through the whole thing, even with the burial. And then afterwards, uh, helped me get the medical records. And we studied uh, over 5,000 pages um, for thousands of hours. And I could have never had the energy or the um, ability to uh, define what we found. And so I want to thank them publicly for helping make this book possible. Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, you put together a very important book, in my opinion, and you dedicated it to Rob, his memory. I mean, he, I, I just remember seeing him around in the Christian community, very active and very full of life until this whole harrowing situation uh, happened. So I, I, I applaud and law, you know, you both of you for coming together and putting this book together is very important. So can you kind of talk about where it all started? I mean, we were talking in the pre-show, Rob was not feeling well and yes. one thing led to another. Right? Sure. Um, he had gone to a conference in Ohio, take on the world. And we usually went together and because of COVID, he wanted me to stay home and um, I begged him not to go. He had ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, but he wouldn't take it before because he was afraid it might affect the system. And he, he went on to the conference and um, he, he came back. He wasn't sick right away, but then he started coughing and he was coughing so hard that he couldn't keep the pills down. And so I, yeah, this happened. He, he didn't want to go to a doctor, of course. He didn't want them sticking a Q-tip up his nose. So he's very adamant, no doctor, no hospital. So this went on for a week and uh, he couldn't keep food down or anything. And the last straw was I took his oxygen saturation and it was down to, I want to say 50. And then I freaked out and I called um, the telemed people that had, you know, given us the, the medication and um, they, they were frontline people and they were, they told me, take him to the ER. So I did what they said. Um, I can't believe Rob even got in the car. It was, you know, it amazed me that he was able to walk down the stairs and get in the car, even though we went back and forth on getting out of the car. But anyway, long story short, his oxygen was so low. I, I felt he needed oxygen and we were hoping that that's what he would get at the hospital. Right. So you took him in and this was about, this was September, 2021. Is that right? Or was it's, it? It was, August, no, it was August. I think the conference was at the 23rd through the 26th. And then he went into the hospital on September 3rd. Gotcha. So it was kind of at the very beginning of the, of the, the pandemic or whatever you want to call it happened. So he gets in. What happens next? And I want to back up a little bit. You know, Rob had been doing a lot of research on COVID. In fact, after his death, uh, finally got to look at his computer. He had over 200 windows open and it all had to do with COVID. It was deep, uh, a deep, dark dive. And he had been looking at so many things that I did not even know uh, that he was doing. And so my son saved all those URLs and we have those in a text document that I might end up sharing with the audience. But um, he, he was blowing the whistle. He was helping people get 
um, medical exemptions. He was very outspoken. He was shut off of Facebook two months prior to his trip to take on the world. So, you know, I often wonder, was he targeted? I, I did hear from Steve Quayle on a show with Mike Adams that there was a supposed list, hit list. I don't know if that's true or not. I've tried to call Steve Quayle. He hasn't responded, but um, I don't really know what happened. It wouldn't surprise me. It's odd that you say that, Sheila, because I was thinking that some people may have been on a list. And also, if they were dissidents or anti-whatever, uh, people can look their, their name up. They can they can be searched on the Internet. Maybe somebody at the hospital found something like that's how paranoid I am. But, uh, yeah, so he was doing some deep research. just like, And he was known for being a deep researcher reading and uh, oh. he always giving talks. Right. All the way yes. up to he did a lot of work, uh, work on um, uh, ancient history and uh, with a biblical perspective, a lot about the Nephilim, and which um, is very important to this story here. It, he he talked about transhumanism and singularity, and he, he was even prophesied in one uh, video that he did that this end time scenario was going to lead to a vaccination where if you took the jab, then you if you didn't take the jab, then you wouldn't be able to buy food. And um, this was in 2012. And you can see that video. It's on YouTube. And a lot of people have posted it almost as a prophetic warning. Um, but he was very outspoken. He, We had uh, people from all over the world. It's taken us to South Africa, Canada. Uh, we would probably do around four, four conferences a year. I always traveled with him. It was an amazing journey. And, um, and I loved every minute of it. He was just about to touch his dream, which was a 72-episode television series called Seed. And um, I never thought he was going to die from this. I I believed that, you know, prayer and I, I believed he was going to pull through. He believed he was strong enough to with, withhold, you know, to keep them, you know, at bay and not force anything on him. But um, later we found out that that wasn't the case. Uh, they don't care about medical directives. They don't care if you have medical power of attorney. It was it was a prison. It had turned into a prison. It's remarkable. Yeah. And you were together with him for 14 years. So you were together a significant period of time. But so when he got in, they you they wouldn't let you in for 21 days. Right. Right. Which I didn't know. I would have never left him there if I knew that was the case. Um, the only thing they wanted to know when I left him, well, they made him put a mask on, which was barbaric because he was having trouble breathing. And um, I thought they would let me in after they got him, you know, um, checked in, you know, but they, they wouldn't let me in for 21 days. And I forgot what I was going to say, but um, yeah, right, they, so you, they, go they, ahead. They, they were also very abrupt with you and him, right? Like, I mean, oh, when somebody yeah. says, if you don't do this, you're going to die. It's almost like uh kind of like a uh, behavioral modification, like you, don't do this or else. Like, we're, you know, it's like incredible that somebody's saying that to a patient. I wasn't going to um, give, I mean, I, I, we knew that once we walked in, we, we were going to tell them no remdesivir. I wasn't searching. I didn't know enough. I didn't know as much as raw, but I did know, you know, the basics. So when I walked in, I was trying to give them the medical history. His dad had lost a kidney. And I said, you know, whatever you do, don't give them remdesivir because it, genetically it may be dangerous. And so, but the only medical history that they wanted to know was, was he vaccinated? Which of course was a no. In fact, in the record, it says he actually put in the record that the mRNA vaccination was against his spiritual beliefs. So I, I feel that that too was a, he was targeted for that. And it's all over the record in bold caps. This is, this was an unvaccinated person. Wow. That's incredible. And they, they, uh, 
were trying to tell you that this was a, an elective intubation too when they did that too, right? Yes. As if like he uh, okayed it, right? Yeah. And see, we were talking to each other back and forth. So a lot of what, um, you know, I, if he had told me, come pick me up, I would have been there in two minutes and, and, and helped him out. He never told me, you know, to come get him. But after studying these records for, you know, a year and a half, we, we found new details every day. And I personally think they tied him down and he went down punching personally, but um, I don't know if we'll ever know. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very terrible 21 days, uh, almost lost my mind. But, um, but I have to hope that this book can help save lives. And that's why I wrote the book. I think it will. And they applied, they gave him drugs that I had never heard about. So it wasn't just remdesivir. They were giving him a rheumatoid arthritis drug, Nimbex. Like they really gave him with that were very expensive applications of uh, pharmaceuticals, right? And speaking of drugs, I, for those that don't know, Rob, he's very anti-drug. He 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 had started. Uh, he was a vegetarian, um, a recent vegetarian. He didn't like the cruelty of animals, so he had started eating only clean foods. And he was very anti-drug. I had to, you know rarely took an aspirin. So um, that's one thing they didn't say. They they did try to force a ventilator on him like the second he got there. And of course he said, no, they never ever got consent from me or him. So, um, and also when they did finally say that they were going to do it, I didn't have a choice in it. They did not share the amounts of drugs they were going to be giving him. I wish I had known that as well, but uh, it's unbelievable how many sedatives and how much paralytics nobody can breathe if you're paralyzed it's just unbelievable it's almost like they put him into a coma to like make money and and the the amount that they charged is off the charts like i couldn't believe it like my jaw literally dropped yeah the bill was eight hundred thousand dollars when i finally got it i got all the i got the um complete uh itemized bill i got the uh five thousand well it was first four thousand nine hundred pages i actually uh, required to, i mean uh, requested to get it again just out of curiosity because i could never find his signature and i thought they must be missing pages so when we got the second round of it there were 300 more pages and in those pages it actually showed uh soft restraints which you know broke my heart i don't know what they did to him in that 21 days um, but they tied him down to do a bipap and anyway it's all in the book and it, every day is detailed. It's um, it's a tell all. It's every minute. See, when they yelled at me, do you want your husband to die? And if you don't put him on a ventilator, he's going to die. I knew that was a lie. And um, after that call, I my mom and sister were with me. I said, I need to record every single conversation that I have with these nurses and doctors because I want Rob to see how terrible it was, you know, and then he could write a book about the nightmare of it. I never thought he was going to die from it. So that's really the content of the book comes from all those transcripts. And um, that's the first thing I had to do was to type all those conversations, hundreds of hours um, out so that, um, and then Roberta turned it, turned those transcripts into more of a story, a day by day story. And that's kind of the, how we wrote the book where we got the content. It, it's pretty clear every single day from those recordings. Recordings and also he was able to text at the beginning, so you have the texts in there. Yes. So he's requesting help. It's almost like he's in a jail uh, environment, and I he had was, that. Yeah, yeah. It was a prison, and he, he even said, doing everything. And these are all in the book. Uh, they said he said they're doing everything they can to get me to intubate, and then he said I'm dead if they do. So he would have never uh, consented to a ventilator. 
Right. And I think people even knew at that time, the early onset of whatever was going around. I got some virus at the beginning of 2020, even before the shutdowns that blew me away. I was sick for a week. I was literally prone. I should have gone to the hospital, but it was unbelievable what it did to my body. Like my uh, kidneys were shutting down. It was incredible. I was lucky to make it through the other side, but no, there were no warnings at that time. So I think something was going around even before March. Uh, but I believe so too. Yeah. So I, I've, I know the people who've had the same story as me who were very sick at the end of 2019 or early 2020. But um, yeah, so he he was also he had no comorbidities, too. He was healthy, right? Oh, yeah. He um, wanted to be in the same shape that he was at 25 at 50. And it, there's a picture of him in the book at 25 and 50. I mean, he got a trainer. He was working out twice a week. He was in the best health of his life. I mean, he looked the best he had ever. He was in shape. He was, like I said, he did. He was very, uh, ate very clean. He exercised, you know, I mean. He was a he, military guy too, right? So he was in the military where, you know, at least back in the day, they made you stay in tip-top shape, exercise, stuff like that. He yeah, was most, a helicopter pilot, right? He was, yes. And he, he was, yeah, like I said, it, he was in the best health of his life. And one of the things people knew, I, I lost my train of thought earlier, but one of the things people knew even kind of early 2020 2021 is that if you get intubated it's like a death sentence very few people come back out of that and so yeah and he, he probably knew, knew that he did know that and i really think he was probably making the doctors angry because he is very outspoken and like you said he's a military guy and i'm sure he wasn't quiet about what he believed the thing is is when he would talk it, he would cough and you'll see the details in the book uh when you when we went through the pages a uh, back and forth uh they said they kept they, they were harassing him on every hour trying to get him to do things and then when he would fall asleep they'd give him remdesivir i mean and they knew very clearly uh, our directives and it's all detailed in the book with the actual hospital pages um from the record um you know you can't make this stuff up it's just so in your face evil um I'd like the world to know and for people to know to prevent it from happening to their loved ones. And it's happened a lot. I've talked to other people. I've talked to Alan about this other website that's similar to your book title, which is Protocol Kills, or where you just hear more and more of these stories. You just hear that this happened to many, many people, and those bills are off the charts. Did they hand you that hospital bill expecting you to pay it, or was it covered by the COVID you know, CARES Act? I, I did. I just asked for a, I think it's called EOB. I forget what it stands for, but um, it was just a, I think it was, it was, Oh, another thing they can they would only send me 50 pages of it. And, and it was missing like uh, two weeks of his, cause he, he, sir, he lived 40 days through this, which is very unusual to me uh, that he, that he lived as long as he did with the amount of drugs they gave him. But it was a daily um, uh, uh, bill every day that you could see what they charged for. And I just I just asked for it and they kept sending me 50 pages. It took to ask three times before I got the whole 120 pages of the bill. And um, I had it's probably not important for the book, but I did get to bump my insurance up. It was a one time chance to bump it up. I mean, we, we only had insurance for like if our arm got you know blown off. I mean, we never, ever went, you know, believed in the system of this medical system. We knew the truth about cancer and all that. Um, very anti-medical system. So we only had insurance for emergencies and we were able to bump it up. So uh, they, I don't know if they expected me to pay it or not, but I'm pretty sure my insurance probably did pay for it. Just paid for it somehow. Like it's incredible that they 
they charge that much. It's really incredible. I've had the same thing happen to me. I was in the hospital seven years ago. When they handed me the bill, I was like, what? It was like $50,000. I was like, for two days or something. It was well, yeah. So the system doesn't work yet. Well, we know that. But it, then then you start looking into the government incentives. And when you learn that each one is a is a bonus. I mean, so if you get if you if you get diagnosed with COVID, it's 20,000. If you're intubated, it's 39,000. If you die and you have COVID on your death certificate, it's another 20% bonus on the whole bill. I mean, it's just in insane. Right. And have you I looked into how those perverse, I would call them perverse incentives, how those perverse incentives got drafted? Like, how did those go into, they went into the CARES Act, right? So it's actually some kind of Congress thing where they, they perversely incentivized all these hospitals, not just the one in Texas, to apply these crazy treatments that there were all their other alternatives to. I'm going to let Alan share with you some of the things that he found. Yeah, well, that's that's absolutely true that it's it's an insidious incentive system. And, you know, we think that needs to stop. And, you know, it's incentivized to benefit the hospitals. And what's happening is profits are being put ahead of patients and patients' rights are being shoved to the side. And when you have someone that you know is going to be a cash cow for the business, you do kind of hold them prisoner uh, and you end up saying, well, we can't let this person leave until they have the full protocol, which is five total doses of remdesivir. If you're innovated, they increase it to 10. How lovely, how nice of them. Um, and then again, you just we, we explain that in the book, but how you go through the whole protocol to the benefit of the hospital. Right. So you're putting in these protocols that, that incentivizes them to do that. And like uh, Sheila said, like they're giving the drug while he's asleep. Like it's unbelievable. These are just uh, no informed consent, no Hippocratic oath, uh, do no harm. It's off the charts what they did. And like I think you said you knew somebody else who was also in that hospital, too. Right, Alan? Like at the same time. Yeah, there's yeah. an amazing story. Alan went to get his teeth cleaned. And go ahead. You tell the story, Alan. Well, I'll tell part of it. Um, I, I went to get my teeth cleaned and I never have had a dental hygienist ask me what I do for a living. And this isn't all I do, write books, but it seemed to be the most relevant, pertinent thing to answer the question because she asked me, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm currently writing a story about a murder. And that surprised her a little bit. And she said, well, where was the murder? I said, in, it was actually in a local hospital. And she said, what hospital? I told her the name and she about fainted. She said, when? And I said, well, in October of 2021. She said, oh, my God, they murdered my father in the same month, in the same hospital, in the same ICU as Rob Skiba. We later found out that that was absolutely true. We met with her in person and Sheila went through the hospital records and reviewed them and found that her father had suffered with some of the same doctors and staff from the same therapies and drugs from the very same badgering and the very same protocol, which led to his death as well. And she knew what was going on and she was powerless to stop it. There was no other place to take him. He was struggling and he too, guess what was unvaccinated. So the question is where the, was there an attempt to make an example of these people. We have heard stories of individuals who've gone into hospitals that were vaccinated and they put forward every possible effort to save their lives with conservative treatments instead of forcing the full protocol on them. 
Wow. That's incredible. It's very sinister to think that, especially what we know about the shot, right? What people are calling the vaccine now, which they didn't know back then. They believe the kind of hype about the shots, but now we know it doesn't prevent against transmission and all this other stuff. So it is incredible that they went off. So maybe that's it. And I've heard other stories around the country where they're trying to find out people who didn't take the shot. So it's uh, there may be something very sinister. This was super sinister. Like this is like how how did this and this is a larger example of how institutions can be corrupted from the inside, how administrative bodies like a different form of warfare, really, uh, you know, benefits of the people's rights. What's really, really sinister is that now babies get uh, the COVID uh, jab on day one. They've made that uh, on their list. They get they get the COVID jab on day one. I don't know if it's that in every state, but I know that's in Texas. And I did also call the hospital to see if they're still giving remdesivir. And that is still their protocol for, quote, COVID or it's pneumonia. Or I just. It's I, unbelievable I, that it's there. people know, like the facts are out there that this was tested before and like half the people died. Like it's off the chart. So it's the intent to harm. That's what's really incredible is this is obviously it's premeditated murder, and that's yeah, the only yeah. way to look at it. And I would say another thing that is a consistent um, way that they do it, because there, there is a script, and I'll say script because every single person that I've talked to has the same story that is, it's like a script. And every the, the way they do it and the order they do it, it's, and I'll give you an example. So Rob was, well, Rob was able to hold those people off um, for a couple of days, and they, they moved them to another floor. And when they did, um, they put in his chart, they said, uh, where is that? They, they, they said, where's that part that says what they put in his record? Uh, well, I can't find it. Well, it is interesting that you use the word script because I know that the government was handing out kind of scripts about people, like about uh, vaccine resistance, about other things, like literally so that people could actually answer, like be pre-conditioned or pre-trained to answer complaints from the public on different things. So I would surmise, I would deduce that, that these kind of scripts were handed out to all the hospitals in yeah, anticipation of resistance. Yeah, I'm praying that someday we can, you know, find these actual records because I don't know when the, the, the switch was flipped because there, there had to be a day where they all got their, their script and then they just started doing it. And so one the thing I was getting at was, um, after they moved him to the fifth floor, they put consult palliative care, pretty much, which means end of life care. Just keep him comfortable until he dies. Well, Rob's oxygen had went from a 70 to a 98 when they gave him supplemental oxygen. So why didn't they just put him on a regular floor and let him have regular oxygen? But we found out later they were giving him way too much and they were they were they were doing more harm than good with the oxygen alone. But to put palliative care for a man that's uh, in great health, except this respiratory probably pneumonia, uh, I think is so barbaric. They also did it to Enos. I'm sorry, the, the other lady we were talking about, her father had palliative care on his record. And then I met a lady yesterday who hadn't, I hadn't seen in years. Her mother was killed uh, at the, in the same area, but at a different hospital. And they put on her chart uh, palliative care. So this is something they do. If you don't want their protocol the way they want to give it to you, then they just pretty much write you off and say palliative care. It's incredible. Oh, it's and incredible. they oh they stopped feeding you, and and that's another thing. He was texting me, no food, no water. Um, 
this is a, a theme throughout all the people that I've talked to. I don't know one person that I've talked to that this happened to that was vaccinated. Most everybody I ask, it's, it was unvaccinated. They were starved. They were dehydrated. And then when they said no to the ventilator, they were put in their chart, consult palliative care. So they were just writing these people off. Early, right? So that palliative care was early in the records of Rob, right? Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, that's what's strange. Like, it wasn't at the end of the 40 days. It was like in the first week. Like, this is off the charts. That's just criminal act over and over. So I, I know that there's lawsuits against remdesivir here in California that are taking place. So, so I'll, I'll read you this. It was day two in the, in the, in quotes, impression and plan written in the hospital record the day after his arrival. They wrote COVID-19 unvaccinated patient does not want intubation consult palliative care, which generally means end of life. So it appears they wrote him off because of his unvaccinated status and because he made it crystal clear he did not want to be given remdesivir or be intubated and placed on a ventilator, both of which greatly upset those people, is what I believe. It's incredible. And that's all in the record. Right. I mean, it's incredible. Like you have a very thorough records of all this stuff. I mean, you have it all in there and the kind of legal you lay it, the book out as kind of a, almost like a legal thriller with all of the the reference and stuff. Can you kind of talk about that approach? Uh, oh, sure. Sure. And um, so you can read the book in four ways. You can read it as a true crime docudrama. You can read it as a legal brief. You can read it as a body of evidence. And I'll let you want to kind of break that down. Yeah, sure. Uh, and yeah, as a bot, well, if you read it as a true crime drama, because some people said, my Lord, this is 480 pages. That's a lot to read. Well, that's true. It is rather large, but we wanted to tell the complete story and we didn't want to leave out any of the critical details so people could be forewarned. But if you want to read it, though, as a docudrama, as a true crime docudrama, then just read the narrative in the story and skip the legal counsel statements and the appendices. But if you wanted to read it as a legal brief, then you can read the over 130 legal counsel statements in turn, one after the other, that have over 100 citations, as it mentions in the intro video, from clinical studies, medical journals, federal regulations, and relevant books and articles. And if you want to read it just as a body of evidence, then if you just read the appendices, it would blow you away. We have... Uh, an appendix on 12 pages of incriminating key facts that would be presented to a court. And there was a plan to present it to a court. And we can explain why that didn't happen, if you'd like. Please do. And then there's a second appendix, which is a detailed analysis of the medical expert witness. The third appendix has over 50 notated excerpts from the hospital records that clearly detail that he didn't die of a natural death and all of the things they were doing and the badgering and the rest of it. Then there's an article and another appendix on the hospital's incentive payments that clearly spell that out. An appendix on Title 42 of the Code of Federal Regulations that they violated. An appendix on the University of Oxford study on budesonide, which he was initially refused, that could have helped save his life. And then an appendix of a list of the questionable drugs and dosages that Rob was administered during just a three-day period. As one person said, that's probably enough to kill a horse. And then the darkness exposed by Sheila's conversation with a respiratory therapist with over 35 years experience in the field who exposed some of the darkness behind this protocol and how he'd seen it invoked on many, many other patients is in an appendix. And then the last is evidence of the falsification of the hospital's consent forms because there were forms that were supposedly, allegedly consent. 
and there was something scribbled on them, but it surely wasn't Sheila's handwriting and it surely wasn't Rob's. And I won't tell you the rest of it, but you look into the book, you can understand that it, how that came about and even letters and emails back and forth with the hospital, including the dialogue of an in-person meeting at the hospital with the staff member who actually wrote that on the form. The witness. The witness. And so it's all in the book there. But the uh, last way you can read it, the fourth way is as a complete day-by-day chronology of the 40 days that Sheila and her husband had to deal with this and how he became a victim of the protocol. So you can read that interspersed with the legal counsel statements that provide the story behind the story. And the legal counsel brings you information that Sheila was not aware of at the time which kind of like you're watching a movie and then, and then you can see that somebody's behind the door and the actor in the movie doesn't see them. And you're like, Oh gosh, I know what's about to happen. The legal counsel steps in and provides you that level of insight of things that Sheila didn't even know at the time that she later discovered. And then points to all of those citations we talked about. Right. I mean, it's very well researched. If you look through this book, you guys did uh, immense amount of research and things like that to put this whole book together. So the people who've gone through this protocol would do themselves a huge favor to just look through all this and and uh, use this as a baseline for other causes of action or anything. And I hope these lawsuits really go nationwide. These uh, medical groups and these hospitals have to have to pay out for what they've done to people. I mean, it's intended. I'm surprised that there's no, I mean, it shows you what the DOJ is all about. The federal government's a mess, but uh, at least the states can take action against these uh, hospitals and things like that. So I'm hoping they'll, they'll you know, these DAs will pick up the pace and or uh, attorney generals them. of the states. Yeah. What's that? As, as long as they're not the ones bought by George Soros. But I will say, ironically, Rob's uh, last presentation that he prepared for Take on the World, which he didn't give for whatever reason, it, it was called Revelation 12 and the Nuremberg Code. And so uh, I, I just find that um, interesting. Right. And the Nuremberg Code was all about consent, right? Or like uh, you're supposed to have informed consent for everything. It was medical experimentation. This was the, uh, I think last year was the 75th anniversary. It has to do with medical ethics. And I found found it so unusual that nobody's talking about it. So I dug into it. And the only person that uh, I could find was a, a Holocaust survivor who actually republished the code. It's just a little book. And uh, they're very simple. And, and most of it is just basic human rights. Like you can't experiment on somebody. You can't, they, they should have a say in their treatment. You can't badger them. You can't force them, which is everything in it. They violated Rob with those, with that code. Yeah. So. Incredible. yeah and so you got Sam, this guy, Sammy Wong as a medical expert was in there. Yes. So you really covered your bases, legal, medical, things like that. And re- and just, you know, compiled it into a very, easy to follow narrative so i commend you for that and also i've come across something interesting that have you ever thought about implied warranty that there's a legal cause of action that at least in civil suits is that a lot of these drugs that have an implied warranty that they'll actually be efficacious and they're not and i haven't heard anybody really talk about the warranty aspect of the treatments and the drugs and things like that like have you guys come across that sheila or alan well, we, we, I don't know about implied warranty. Of course, you, you're bringing up a valid point. One of the things that we raised as an issue in the book is that the hospital protocols, and especially this insidious protocol, um, is one of drugs, of course, and other therapies, which we explain in the book what to watch out for and what to be warned of. 
Well, what's really insidious, and the legal counsel gets into this in many, many legal counsel statements and some of the hospital records, is many of these drugs will actually cause more problems. And when they cause the problems, the symptoms that crop up, there's a drug for that. And then that creates another problem. And there's a drug for that. And then that leads to another problem. And there's a drug for that. And the next thing you know, the individual is on massive numbers of high doses of liver toxic and kidney toxic medications. And so it's, it's almost like if you went to a buffet and they, uh, let's say it's a Chinese restaurant and, and, and you wanted Indian food and they'd say, why are you here? Or you go to a restaurant that only serves chicken and you ask for a beef dinner. And so when you get into these settings, the, it, it seems to be a protocol of drugs on top of drugs on top of drugs. And Sheila, you'll see this in the, in the book. Sheila combated that daily and did everything she could to advocate for Rob during the 21 days she was locked away. And then during the period of time, they allowed her finally in the hospital. But she tried to get them to stop these drugs and to lower the dosages. And all they did was increase them. And you'll see as you read the story, those of you who have not read it, if you get a copy of the book, you'll see how insidious this is and how it led to Rob's demise. Yeah, that's incredible. Unfortunately, that's the entire big pharma business model is solve the problems they, they create with one treatment by their own fin treatment. So it's uh, it's incredible they got away with all this stuff. But we are at the 37-minute mark. Is there anything you guys would like to kind of conclude with and can talk say, about where people can find the book? Well, I want to just say one thing that's a misnomer. There's something called the right to try. And I just want you to know that's very deceptive. The right to try is after they've done all their protocols, then you have a right to try. I beg for budesonide on day one. I beg for it day two. I beg for it every single day. They finally gave it to them, but only a very minuscule dosage, which was 0.5. And um, so anyway, I wanted to clear that up. But to um, to wrap this up, um, I believe my book is a unique is unique in a number of ways. And my biggest uh, desire and goal is to see lives saved. Um, I, I wanted to go far and wide. We changed the names of the doctors and the nurses and, and the hospital so that it, it could be more universal. It's a universal story. People can relate to their own experiences. And so I believe it's the most in-depth expose ever written on the protocol in action. I would agree with that. Alan, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, one of the things, you know, you mentioned this too, William, is it, and I like this about the book. It, it's something that actually was an insight that came to my wife, Roberta. We were going to write a story, a, a, um, a memoir for Sheila of, of her 40 days of trauma and, and the experience, the nightmare that she experienced. But then she, Roberta felt a leading. She said, you know what? I can't write this book this way. We have to write this in a different way. We need to allow the readers to become members of the court of public opinion as they see the horror of what happened to this man and let them judge for themselves if he died a natural death or not. And that's what brought the legal counsel idea in. And it, it's, a, it's a different perspective than most any other book. I mean, it's written with seven voices. I'll just end with this. Sheila's day-to-day -day perspective throughout the 40 days that she and her husband struggled in the hospital. And then Rob's own perspective with text messages that are included in the book. So that's a second voice. The third voice is a perspective of her family and friends that were trying to help her and advocate for her and a doctor that came in and tried to assist her from California. That's in the story. And then a legal counsel perspective in those legal counsel statements with those over 100 citations we talked about. Then the actual words, because she recorded by law, state of Texas, a one-party state, 
You can legally record any conversation you're a party to. She recorded every single conversation, whether it was by phone during the first 21 days or in person during the time she could spend in the hospital with Rob. And we got all that dialogue in the book, word for word, what the therapist, doctors and nurses and staff said to her. And then the voice number six of a medical expert witness who is an expert in over 100 cases. He's presented expert testimony over 30 years and he has taught medical ethics. And he actually is one of the people who's a voice in the book. And then lastly, valuable extracts from the over 5,000 page hospital records that are notated in detail that shows doctors' biases, negligence, malicious intent, and harmful therapies. And so there's nothing I think has ever been written at this level of depth and this thorough on this protocol. And if I can just share one last thing, um, these government incentives need to be stopped and hospitals and doctors who practice in these facilities, um, they need to be, they, they need to not be financially motivated because that's a, a dangerous, uh, it's a conflict of interest is what it is. And so what I want is I want to see the amount of people in that hospital who died, who were unvaccinated, how many got put on a ventilator that were unvaccinated and who were vaccinated because I was told by a local pharmacist that nobody who was vaccinated got put on a ventilator. I want to know if that's true. And I also want to know how much money the doctors made. And I'll end it on this. This is something Rob always said. There are more of us than there are of them. We can stand together or we will die alone. So let's stand together. Amen. And th those things, that information needs to be disclosed through discovery, through litigation, uh, so that the, the American people can know these facts. Who made the money? Where was the money going? There's been more documents coming out with a whole shot incentives, and those are being public, publicized. It's incredible. These people are being incentivized to apply these treatments that really aren't, they don't have autonomy. They don't have any sovereignty. They're, it's it's something incentivized by the government. So, and this is one part of it, and it's a, just a tragic story. It's terrible. And but, if anybody, uh, I commend you guys. Sorry. If, any, if anybody has any any um, advice or legal, you know, I we tried to go that route, but I felt like public opinion was going to move this mountain much faster and further than a, a court case. But I, I would like to do something legally and you know like you said to get the documentation to find out when was that switch flipped and how much did they make and was it is it true that the unvaccinated were targeted because that's discrimination and so if there's anybody out there that knows how to go about getting those facts uh, i would be very interested in finding that out well some, some of these lawyers who are suing at least on remdesivir may get some uh knowledge it might be made public where's the best place for people to get the protocol that kills Okay, well, you can learn about how to buy it at theprotocolthatkills.com. We have a buy now page. It's currently available in paperback on Amazon. It actually became the number one bestseller in the medical ethics category within 24 hours of its release. It popped back to number two right behind uh, the true Anthony Fauci you know, story written by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And we are working on getting a hardback available uh, any day now. And we will then have a eventually a PDF version for people who want to download it in PDF form that's keyword searchable. Excellent. And then the best place to reach you guys, Sheila Skiba and Roberta and Alan Stalvey, is at your website, www.theprotocolthatkills.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Great. We have a contact form there and it'll reach all of us if you want to get in touch with us. So if people have any additional questions or anything like that, but I highly recommend this book. Very thorough, superbly well-researched and... Uh, tragic I'm, I'm just terrible that this happened to, to rob skiba it's just uh, so i appreciate you 
writing this book to memorialize him as well. So thanks so much for your time and congrats on, on publishing the book. It's just been out about a week, right? Oh yes. yeah, just a week. Just a and week. Thank, so. you, thank you for your kind words as well. I appreciate yeah. you having us on. Anytime. So let's keep in touch maybe if we want to do a second show. But again, for people, get this book, The Protocol That Kills, a true crime story by Sheila Skiba and Roberta and Alan Stalvey. And I will put a link to the website in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.